You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, sit on here, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and for showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son, Jesus. We ask you now to teach and encourage us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So good to be with you this morning. My name's Andy, such a privilege to be able to open God's Word and to continue our series in Jesus' great mission or commission of the church, the commission, the great commission, the mission that he's given us. And the last week, if you uh, remember, Dave Chiswell, our community director here at Sinona Hill, he opened this same passage and looked particularly at discipleship, how God uh, calls us to be uh, on mission together, discipling one another, growing in our knowledge and our love of Jesus our obedience to all that Jesus has commanded, going deep in our faith. But the goal of all that is not just that we would be great disciples. Because Jesus' goal and his mission for us is that we would be disciples who make disciples. And that's what we come to this week, looking at this passage and two words in particular, the baptizing them and the teaching them. So it would be great to have the Bibles out as we dive in. If you open up Matthew chapter 28, if you don't have a Bible, love to give you a Bible. Come grab me afterwards, I'll give you one. And uh, if you want to go biblegateway.com on your phone at the moment, that'll get the passage up for you. Because we're going to do some scribbling, if that's not uh, sacrilege to you, to scribble in the Bible. Um, I think it's a good idea to focus in on a couple of words today. The one word I want to focus in on is baptizing them. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, circle that word, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. A lot in this passage, but I want to focus first on this word, baptizing them. What does this mean? How do we do it? And why would we want to baptize somebody? There are questions. What does it mean? And why would we want to do it? Well, let's start with the why. It's all about how good Jesus is isn't it? Why we want to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is because of just how unique Jesus is. I've been reading through the, the Gospels of John. The Gospel is just a biography of Jesus. I'm reading through John's biography of Jesus. It's our primary source for really getting, the Gospels are our primary sources for getting to know who Jesus is. And we learn some things. I mean, I've read the Bible a few times. But when I read through with my, my friends recently the Gospel of John, I'm struck by some things about Jesus, just how unique he is. We're told right from the beginning of John's Gospel, Jesus is the Word of God. 
God the creator who made everything in the universe, you and me and everything. Well, Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through him, everything was made. Apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. And for our sake, that same God who made the entire world became a human. Because that's just how desperate our situation was. No one else would do. Jesus came in the flesh as a man, lived among us, so that we could know our Creator face to face. We could see Him and know what He is like. But you know what blows me away every time I read through the biographies of Jesus? What is that God like? Is He sort of proud and mighty? Well, He's mighty, but He's not proud. He's humble. He washes the feet of His disciples, which is backwards. The God of the universe comes to earth, and what does he do? He washes our feet in a humble, even humiliating act of service. Because that's who the real God is. The God who comes not to be served, but to serve. It always just strikes me how deeply compassionate Jesus is. Here is a man who is literally God, and literally on a mission to save the entire world. Right? He's got things on his mind, and yet he meets people on the way... Ordinary people, people on the margins, people on the outside, people who don't fit in necessarily. And he stops because he cares about them. He meets the person who's blind. He stops. He, he comes across the disabled man who's waiting at the pool. He, he, he stops for the, the sisters who are mourning their brother who's just died. But not only is Jesus deeply compassionate for the people he meets... He's also powerful. You see, you and I could have compassion on someone in that circumstance, those circumstances, but we could do probably very little about it. But Jesus is powerful. The same words that created the universe, Jesus uses to change the world for these people. He just speaks and suddenly they have sight. They can walk. There is food for the hungry. Dead people are alive people because Jesus says so. He is deeply compassionate, but more, he is powerful. But you know, there's another thing that strikes me about Jesus as we read his biography. Jesus is on a mission. He is focused on something. He's here to do something. It's clear throughout the Gospels that he is driven and focused on the particular mission, a mission that will ultimately cost him his life. You see, Jesus feels strongly about justice. God feels strongly about justice at every level. The one point that Jesus gets really, really cross, really angry, is in the temple where he sees the religious leaders abusing and exploiting their position over the rest of people, abusing the people under their care, misleading them about God, making money out of their status. He, he's grieved by this corruption of power. But he's also deeply grieved when people don't recognize who he is for who he is. When they don't realize that this is God, their creator, come to help them. He's grieved by that. He's deeply grieved and offended when people hold so tightly to their sin that they will not admit that they need help and give it to him for forgiveness. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus is on a mission. Gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's nobody like Jesus. There's no one else who talks like this. There's no one else who does stuff like this. There is no one like Jesus who can offer you and me forgiveness of sins and eternal life. There is no one like Jesus. And that's why we want to baptise. Remember, I might have told this story um, before, but it's really stuck with me. Remember, um, a long, long time ago, probably I was in high school, I was driving in a car with some friends, and my friend who was driving in the front seat, she started talking about all her Christian friends. I don't know if she knew I was a Christian at this point. And then she started talking about how irritating they are because they keep inviting her to church and talking about Jesus, and that's annoying, she said. And I'm being very quiet back here, obviously. But then she said something that I'll always remember. She said, yeah, but I guess if they stopped doing that, I'd be offended. Because if they believe what they believe, which is that Jesus is real and he's my creator and heaven and hell are real and all that, and you don't tell me about that, you don't care where I stand with that, then you're not my friend. I kept silent and thought about that a lot. Because she's right. right. The reason why we want our friends to know about Jesus is because we know how good Jesus is, that there's no one like Jesus, there's no one who talks like him, and there's no one who can do what he does. And we want our friends to know him too, don't we? And not just our friends, but our family members, our neighbours, our, our work colleagues, the whole world, all the nations. We want them to know Jesus, their creator, for who he is. So Jesus has given us this mission to baptise them, to baptise all nations, our friends, our family members, our, our colleagues, strangers who we meet. And we're driven in this not just because Jesus said so, although that would be a good reason in itself. But we're driven in this because we love people and we love Jesus. And we would love for the people that we love to know Jesus too, to know the incredible feeling that it is to have a relationship with your God your creator, finally, to know what you're on this planet for, to know how incredible Jesus is, to have the joy of finding salvation in his name. We know, don't we, the joy of having the weight of sin, all our, our mistakes and our guilt that we carry, just to have that taken off us by Jesus. And we want that for other people. We know just how much of a relief it is. The joy of being part of God's family of being accepted, not because of who we are, but despite it, because he loves us. Just because. We know Jesus and we love people, and so we would love, we long for people to know Jesus too. And so that's why we baptise. That's why I love baptisms at church. I love that we do baptisms a couple of times a year here at Sydney on Hill, and we do it at the beach, which is the best place. I mean, if it's good weather. 
I love going down to the beach and seeing people baptized. It was very special for us. Um, was it last year, two years ago? I can't remember. Um, we went down to the beach and baptized um, our youngest, Chloe, who's two years old. I've got a photo of that happening. There she is in her little tiny baptism shirt. Now, um, Chloe loved that day. She still talks about it whenever we go past any body of water. Uh, she thinks, that's where I was baptized. Nope, but that's good that you remember. Let's talk about that. Now, just as a Sidebar, recognizing that um, Christians disagree on when you should be baptized. Should you baptize the babies? Should you wait till they're grown ups and they can articulate their faith? Uh, just important thing is that we all kind of get along on this point. It's not a thing to divide over. Um, some people that sit on a hill choose not to baptize their, their children, but wait until they can articulate their faith for themselves. That's good. Um, some people, Steph and I included, um, we recognize that baptism is open to anyone who belongs to Jesus. And so if children are being raised as Christians, then baptism belongs to them too. But the important thing is we do both at Sit on a Hill. Both People make both choices. And we support parents either way because what we want to see is children discipled in the Lord, growing up as Christians. But for Chloe, just closing that sidebar for a second... For Chloe, it was a really special time, and for us it was a special time, a special moment that she talks about often and that we remember with her because of how significant it is. Now, admittedly, she was a little bit disappointed when uh, she got down to the beach that day and discovered it was not Jesus personally who would be baptising her, as in the storybook Bible, but it was going to be Guy Mason, and she she warmed up to him. But she still talks about it. She still talks about it because of what a significant day it was. In fact, we were, um, we were up at, uh, in Sydney over the, over the Christmas break and we were meeting the cousins who were not particularly church-going people and, and Chloe was keen to do some baptising. In fact, in the pool uh, on Christmas Day, she was sneaking up behind the cousins and baptising them, <laughs> whether they wanted it or not. Baptised, she said. It was great. She, she gets it. She gets the mission. She gets the Great Commission. Now, good opportunity for us to teach her that along with baptism, we have to realize what baptism represents. You can't sneak up on someone and do it. Right? We need to go behind what the symbol means. Because in this passage, baptism goes along with some other things, which she'll catch on to. Right? Verse 19, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So along with baptism goes discipleship and teaching. And that's because Jesus' gift to us of baptism is a visible sign of death and life. Right? Baptism means death and life. It's quite a graphic image, actually. You go under the water like you've drowned, and then you're pulled up out of the water like you've got new life. What does it represent? Well, death and resurrection. Specifically, Jesus' death and his resurrection. And why we do that to you if you're being baptised why Jesus calls us to be baptised, to go through that experience, is not that we should have a near-death experience, but that we should have an experience which points us to our union with Him. We're near to His death and resurrection. In fact, we participate in it. What that means is, well, it's a bit like a wedding ring. Okay, My wedding ring is not my marriage, but... It points to the marriage, doesn't it? It points to my union with Steph, my wife. We've been married 10 years this year, by the way. Thank you. Yep, I've done very well for myself. And she, yeah, we're both very happy. Sorry, I didn't mean that to sound wrong. 
we enjoy being married, and the wedding ring, the point is, wedding ring reminds me and reminds us of that union. It's a symbol. Right? So if I forget that I'm married, I look down at my hand, and the wedding ring reminds me of our marriage. Now, it isn't the thing in itself. Obviously, if I lose my wedding ring, I'm not divorced. Not automatically. It's just a symbol of... Okay, you're getting... So, baptism is that. Baptism is a sign of this union with Christ. And in your union with Christ, in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, everything Jesus has is yours. Did you know that? In your union with him, his death is your death. You die to your sin and your old life in that moment. And as you come out of the water, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so you receive the promise of eternal life and new life in him. But there's more. You receive adoption as God's children into his family, membership of the church, the status of being part of God's family, just as Jesus is God's son. You receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, and all the gifts that come with that. It's an amazing symbol, and it points to an even more incredible reality, that if you belong to Jesus, belongs to you too. I want you to imagine right now somebody in your life, maybe a neighbour, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, wouldn't it be amazing? Just picture it for a moment. You're down at the beach. It's Baptism Saturday. We're all there. And your friend, your family member, the person you're imagining right now is walking out into the waters of baptism. They're wearing the T-shirt. And they hear these words as they go under the water. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then they come back out again, a new person. Someone who belongs to Jesus and who everything that Jesus has belongs to them too. Can I invite you to imagine how amazing that would be? To picture that person, that that friend, that family member, that work colleague, whoever it is. Wouldn't it be amazing to know that because of Jesus, they have gone from death to life. Wouldn't it be amazing to know that they are included in God's family forever? Wouldn't it be amazing to know that all their sins are forgiven and that weight is off their shoulders, that they can stand before their creator on the final day free of any anxiety or guilt? Wouldn't you want that for them? I know I do. So maybe this is a good time just to pause. This is a mid-sermon prayer. Don't... I think we should pray. Is that allowed? Can we do that? Let's pray. Mid-sermon prayer. Father, I just want to pray for these people we have in mind right now. You are the God of love, and so we pray for all people, particularly the people we're thinking of. We pray that you would make your way known to them, that your saving power would be active in their life, even this week. We ask that you would make your way known to them, that you would give us courage to love them the way that you do, boldly love them that we would love them enough to put their eternal good ahead of our comfort and maybe even risk awkwardness for their sake. Father, would you reveal to them what you have revealed to us? May they see for themselves just how great Jesus is and how glorious he is. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. That's my prayer. I'm going to keep praying that, and I invite you to as well. But that's the baptism part. There's another word that we want to 
focus in on the passage today. We're on a mission, and Jesus has given us this mission. He's our great mission director. What does he think our essential task is for this mission? What are we meant to do? How are we meant to do it? How will we baptize all nations? What's the core of this mission? Well, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So right from the start, Jesus made clear that being baptized is not just a ticker box moment or a matter of course or just a, a, a warm vibes generally towards Jesus kind of thing. Jesus calls us to follow and obey. That's part of the package. Jesus makes claims on our lives. Jesus says things about the universe, that some things are true and some things are false. He requires us to live in light of the true things. In fact, what did Jesus command? Ever asked that question? What did he teach and command? If you had to summarize the teachings and commandments of Jesus, what would you put there? Well, I had a go. Jesus taught that the God who created the universe, the real God, well, that's the God we meet in Jesus. That's what Jesus taught. I and the Father are one. Notice that Jesus calls for us to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you've seen Jesus, if you've met Jesus, if you've read about Jesus, you've seen, met, and read about God. Face to face. Now that, by the way, is one of the reasons they killed him. All right? That's not a small claim. It doesn't leave much kind of room in the middle, does it? Right? Because if he's claiming to be God, he's claiming your worship. There's only one creator. We're all made by him. And so Jesus claiming to be him demands either we reject him and disobey him or we worship him. There's no middle ground. That's why they killed him. They understood what he was saying. Every single one of us on earth either has to worship him or write him off. Jesus taught also that our own standards of right and wrong, delusional. God is so much more holy than we can even imagine. He cares not just what we do, not just what we say, but what we have going on inside. He cares deeply about us. He cares too much about us just to leave us and not care what we do. And by his standards, let's be clear, by Jesus' standards, even the people we think are nice people have a problem with God. Even the people we think are good people are sinners. Jesus taught us about people. Jesus taught us about relationships, how relationships are meant to work, how the world's meant to work, how we should care for our world. And he would know. He made it. And Jesus taught us that the kingdom of God is near, that the kingdom of God where and when God is recognized as the king that he is over all creation. That kingdom of God is coming soon. The day when he brings justice to the world is coming. And so we need to acknowledge, because Jesus tells us so, we need to acknowledge that we are not on the right side of that line of justice. By default, we are part of the problem. And we need salvation. We need a saviour. We need to repent and believe the good news. So I want you to think back to that friend in your life, the colleague, 
family member, whoever it is, the one that you pictured being baptised, how will they get there? How does Jesus think you'll end up baptising all nations? Well, you, text messaging them, calling them, meeting up for coffee, going to Alpha. Wasn't that great to hear the story of Alpha? Sending them a link to a sermon or a book. But making disciples, I want to add at this point, is not just about grown-ups. went to a, a, a local school fair a little, little while ago, just before Christmas, and they had a lot of those rides, you know, like the, the kind of the rides that cost like $20 to go on. And the rule was, and our kids really wanted to go on them, the rule was you have to be over this high to get on some of them, which is convenient if I didn't want to pay the 20 bucks for the kids, right? But the kingdom of God's not like that. The kingdom of God doesn't have like a minimum height restriction. Sorry, you have to be over this tall to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus said, let the little ones, let the children come to me. In fact, not only are they allowed, but they are model disciples. What posture do you need to have to come to Jesus? Total dependence. Who knows a thing or two about total dependence? A two-year-old. They need everything, just like you. So Jesus said, let the little ones come to me. At the previous service, do you know there was some pretty intense discipleship going on outside the cinema? in City Kids, where men and women, faithful, devoted leaders, prayed with our church's children, taught them, showed them what a godly woman or man looks like, read them Bible stories, and then the parents came and picked them up and took them home for 24-7 discipleship. Those of you who are stay-at-home parents or have significant caring responsibilities during the week, maybe as grandparents or whatever it is. Do you know that that is an irreplaceable discipleship ministry? It doesn't always feel like it. I remember feeling when I was staying at home with the kids a lot, man, I wish I could get like out a bit more. I'm not really meeting up with people. I don't feel like I'm sharing the gospel. Nonsense. Nonsense. This is 24-7 discipleship. And it is kingdom work. One of the um, joys, though, the last couple of years has been my Thursday morning coffee catch-ups for Bible and coffee with my good mate, Mika. Uh, Mika's a barber. I met him in the barber's chair. Um, that's him. That's not me having the haircut, but that's him uh, doing a cut. Um, I was new to Melbourne, needed a haircut, a bit shaggy, walking down the street. I had half an hour free, and I saw his barber shop just down the alleyway, and I thought, do you know what? I'll walk in, see what's the worst that can go wrong. I can always grow it back if it's bad. Anyway, inside, Mika's Barbershop, I have to say, is everything that I look for in a barbershop. Firstly, nice, airy, kind of open space. The music, not too annoying. There's a complimentary beer fridge, which is good for those Friday afternoon cuts. Anyway, I kept coming back. He's a good barber. He takes a lot of pride in his work. And um, I kept coming back every four to six weeks. Realistically, maybe six to eight. Sorry, Mika. Um, he's listening. Anyway, look forward to chats with Mika and his clients. Really great vibe going on. We talk about everything absolutely everything. And occasionally things would turn to spiritual matters, spiritual things. And um, at one point, I don't know how many times um, in it was, but Mika shared that he'd been, in, uh, he'd been sort of a Christian or involved in church in the past, but he had some real struggles in faith. 
and uh, you hadn't really been walking closely with Jesus for a long time. Anyway, a year or two passes, we go into the first lockdown, and then we come out of the first uh, lockdown or two, I can't remember which one it was, but it was March last year, and I started just really feeling a pull inside me to, I don't know, like, try to share more of Jesus with Mika. And so I texted him. Now, I, I thought about this a bit. I thought, maybe he won't be interested. Is this weird? Am I weird? Maybe I am weird. But maybe this is still a good idea. Anyway, so I sent him this text. I've actually found the text, funnily enough. Hey, man, I was thinking, I love chatting with you. How about we have coffee sometime, read and discuss a chapter of one of the Gospels? Could be fun. <laughs> I am weird. Anyway, <laughs> he says yes, <laughs> All right, thankfully. And we meet up and we start reading a bit of John's Gospel. And you know what? A couple of weeks later, he says he's got a mate. Scotty, who's interested in coming along because he's exploring faith, he's into philosophy and stuff. Can he come along too? Sure. Then Mika at some point mentions that his partner Liv is interested in exploring uh, Christianity and doesn't really have much of a background there, so she arranges to have coffee with my wife, Steph. And then after a few weeks of us doing this on a Thursday morning, the manager of the cafe brings us over our coffees and sees what we're doing. He's like, oh, what is this sort of, like, what are you doing? Oh, some kind of like Jesus book club. That sounds fun. Oh, could I join? <laughs> So she might, all right. It has been so amazing to see uh, Mika and Liv and our, our mate Scotty get to know Jesus more, start coming to, to church here at Sin on a Hill. And can I say, honestly, catching up and reading the Bible has been such a blessing to me in my week. I texted Mika earlier this week just to find out what his reflections are on it on our Thursday morning Bible and coffee times. And I asked him firstly what he finds so compelling about Jesus. Here's what he texted back. My barber brain goes straight to the Catholic impression of his long, luscious hair and beard. Fair enough. More seriously than he shared uh, when I pushed him. He shared that something that came up in our first uh, Bible reading, actually, from John chapter 1. We just chose John. And he talked about how the idea that we are made by God and yet God became human. He said, I, I, for me, that is poetry, he said. And then um, he spoke a little, bit, a little bit about why reading the Bible is so important for him. I love the way he put this. The Bible simply is a love letter from God. When we need love, how do we firm it? With words or with action? And the Bible is both. Isn't that right? The Bible is both. It's God's word, but also it's his action. His gift to us. Our morning coffee and Bible times are significant, uh, he also told me, because... For him, it's about bringing God into everyday life. Our normal catching up during the week, we hear about God, we get to know God better at the same time, he says, as we add depth to our friendship. Mika shared with me recently, actually, his vision. I love this. His vision for his barbershop is that it'd be a community where people could come and if they're open to it, they could not just get a great cut, but also experience faith and God's presence at the same time in this community of people that he's creating. Isn't it amazing what God can do when people sit down and read the Bible over coffee? It's amazing. That doesn't have to be complicated. And I say, our, what we do is not complicated. Step one, I think there's four steps. Step one, order the coffee. Step two, start off reading a chapter from the Bible. One of the Gospels or biographies of Jesus, good place to start. I would suggest John or Luke's Gospel. We did John's Gospel. Step three, chat about it. I always ask a few questions like, 
What do we learn about Jesus in this part of the, part of the gospel? Uh, what do we find confusing or maybe hard to accept? What is relevant for me here? There's three simple questions you can ask of any passage. Step four, come back next time and read chapter two. It's not, not complicated. Any of us can do this. And I just want to be provocative and say, why can't this be the year for you and your friend? Why not send the potentially awkward and embarrassing text message this week? Why not decide this year to share Jesus with someone you care about? And I want to encourage you right now even just to make a reminder in your phone some point this week to pray and ask a friend to read the Bible with you. You will be surprised what God can do through something as simple as Bible and coffee on a Thursday morning. I want to pray. I want to pray as we go out with that challenge. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we give you humble and hearty thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. We thank you so much for making us and for sustaining us and for giving us all the blessings and gifts of this life. But above all, we thank you for your immeasurable love in the redemption that you've offered the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for all the ways that you give us grace and for the hope we have of glory. We pray that you would give us such a sense of all your mercy to us that in our hearts we would be truly thankful and that we would praise you not just with what we say, with our lips, but also in our lives. That we would serve you this week in holiness and righteousness, this week and all the days of our lives. We pray these things through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be honour and glory, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com dot com dot au